acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. We are back again. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. I cannot even tell you. And you all know we are in a place where change is the only option. No matter the struggle, no matter how hard the fight, we will have to change. We will have to acknowledge that change is necessary. Only folks who just don't get it will not acknowledge that in today's society, not just in this country, but in this whole damn world, that change is necessary. And we do not need any more folks, not anyone who's just status quo representing us. We're not looking for more corporate giants to take over or to continue to have an advantage over the workaday people of this nation. We don't need that. We don't need the wolves. In sheep clothing. Hello, somebody making false promises and really don't give a damn about the people. Only all that we love is on the line. And I appreciate the whole notion of hope. Hope is on the line. Hope is an action word. But change is coming and hope is here. We're going to keep it up. And nothing is more hopeful than what is happening in the great state of New York. And I am excited and encouraged that we have people who are actually doing the damn thing. And I am so blessed to be in friendship and also on the front lines with one of those wonderful people who not only keeps hope alive in the words of the great Reverend Jesse Jackson, but he inspires people to do the same. And he uses the platform that the creator has given him to be the change that he wants to see in the world. Can we give a big hello, somebody welcome to the one and only public advocate himself, Jermani Williams, who is a candidate for governor in New York. Jay, how you doing today? Peace and blessings, love and light. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the journey with you. Much appreciated. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. And before we get into all of it, because we got a lot of it's to get into, I just want you to walk down memory lane with me just for a minute when we first met. Like I knew of you, but we first met 
uh, in and around 2016, as I, I remember all of the news reports of you walking, uh, calling on this this one senator from the great state of Vermont to tour with you some of the living, the, ho- the housing projects in New York. And that is, I got an up close and personal view of who Jermani Williams is or part of who you are. And it was so important for you to have our senator, Senator Bernie Sanders, go on the journey with you, not just read about it, not just talk about it, but you took him through. Can you walk us back in that moment and how you were feeling and, and what the senator, the whole vibe, because it was a whole, you and him were a whole vibe. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. And we, um, you know, that was one of a few folks, very small, limited amount of folks uh, who pushed back and said, now what we need in this country is a whole new, different type of person, not the same person that the Democratic Party keeps putting up, which is how we got into this mess to begin with, but we'll probably get into that a little bit because uh, they're always pushing back on the people who really want to make some some transformational change. And so, you know, Bernie Sanders really, what he was talking about, who he was, touched my heart, but we wanted to make sure, you know, I'm a community organizer by training. And so I want to make sure people are on the ground seeing what's up. You can't really talk about it unless you've seen it and felt it and touched it. And public housing is just ignored all over the country. Uh, but in New York State in particular, NYCHA, uh, is some of the most uh, ignored uh, amount of housing we have. So I want to make sure he came through. I was excited. I had a lot more hair back then, but um, <laughs> I was, and my, I actually, my, my clothes fit a little bit better. I was still on the baggier side then. So uh, there's a lot has changed, but it was just awesome uh, to have someone running for president uh, tour us uh, NYCHA public housing facilities. I'm not sure that, that happens uh, very often or has happened since, but it was a blessing to have him there, bring attention to what's going on. I agree. The public housing. And no, that has not happened as far as I know since. And it rarely happens. And I just applaud your courage for even being bold enough to call the question and make the invitation, because some people would not have thought even to make the invitation. And you did. And you opened up a whole world. I will never forget that moment with the U.N. Senator Sanders. Now, I got to get the first things first or second things second. Which this should have been first. Hello, somebody family. But congratulations, you and India. Oh, my God. You guys just welcomed a beautiful, healthy baby girl into the world. How is the baby doing? How is India doing? How's dad doing? What's going on? First of all, thanks anyone who, who has sent us prayers and, and blessings. They, they have been received. Uh, we had a Valentine's baby born at 32 weeks. You know, we've shared our story uh, around what India is dealing with and, and black maternal health. We put out, you know, we'll talk about it. Obviously, we had put out some bills in my office around black maternal health. I think about two years ago, uh, a year and a half ago. I never thought it would hit so close to home, the need that we have had and what my wife has experienced in terms of black maternal health. But you know, I have my T-shirt. People can't see it. It says, Daddy of a strong NICU warrior. And so my baby is in the NICU, but she's doing well. You also can't see that I got a heart shaved in the side of my head. It's the first time I ever did some kind of design in my head, but it was Valentine's Day. I see it. So I yeah. got sure I'm representing. But baby's doing uh, as well as could be, uh, moving moving forward healthily. And my wife is doing the same. We're going to be in this NICU journey for a few weeks. Uh, but you'd be surprised. We learned, actually, statistically speaking, the babies that do the best in NICU is actually little black girls. And so uh, yeah. we're blessed to have that if, if, if that's where we're going to be. And then uh, we had shared that, you know, India has cervical cancer. And so we're going to deal with her treatment. Uh, but, you know, the prognosis looks good on all of those. Yeah, you're going through a lot right now, Advocate. Before I get on that side, because you were, you and India had, again, the courage to share your story And it is a story that many black women endure, maybe not the exact story, but the experiences of having a medical profession that ignores the pain and the voices of black women kind of reminds me what happens to us in society in general. But that's a whole nother show. I want to get to the point about what you said about baby Williams and the fact that the studies show that even in that crisis moment, the babies that do the best are black little girls. Hello, somebody. I think that's I think that's prophetic, baby, because that that to me, I'm feeling something on, on that. It really is a symbol of, of the life's journey of most black women in general, that we got to fight like hell for everything. And baby, we do the best in the struggle. That's what I'm taking from this. So um, I had a niece who was uh, in NICU for a while, too. So I certainly understand some of what you're going through from a personal side 
and uh, just prayers and, and just everything that you all have been through and that you're still going through. So let's go back. I don't want to skip over the fact that you and India have been very public about her struggle, what she's going through, what you both are going through, the entire family is going through. So can you share a little bit about that for the Hello Somebody family in case they had not read uh, some of the articles? You know, first, you know, just pray all praises to God, first of all. Yeah. The week before we got married, we found out India had cervical cancer. Um, the week after, we found out, or we were told that we weren't going to be able to have kids because she has to have a hysterectomy. And so they went in to take the eggs and start the process. And she started suffering with what was called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So she got really sick and we couldn't figure out what happened. And then they told us she was pregnant. We're like, who's pregnant? <laughs> we thought we was, this wasn't And so literally in between the 15th and the 20th, when we started, we got pregnant. And so they were concerned about viability. What was frustrating to us, because we were trying to have children for a long time, and she was very clear as a patient what she wanted to preserve the ability to uh, have children. And they kept trying to take a uterus, kept trying to take a uterus. And they didn't tell us, you know, we found out the growth was a little bigger than we had understood. And so there were some, some things we might have tried sooner. So we were very heartbroken because there were some things we didn't try that's more invasive to have kids. And I was like, no, let's hold off, keep trying. If they had given us all the information, we would have tried it. So we were heartbroken that we didn't have that information going forward and people really not listening to her. Praise God, we found an awesome team uh, to help guide us through this. So we're, we're blessed. Can't imagine what it's like trying to do this if you don't get time off your job, if you don't have the proper medical professionals. So we are so privileged in so many ways. And, and we understand that. What was remarkable was the description she gave of the treatment she had originally as her first child of another relationship. I have a beautiful daughter from that. But, you know, she was, the way she was treated as a young Black mother who didn't yet have her footing in the career and was not married to when she is uh, still young. <laughs> Tell her I made sure to describe her as young. A still young uh, Black woman who is married and very deep in her career and felt like she had the same treatment same ignoring, you know, she had a lot of black women could describe, you know, throwing a C-section her first time without any kind of information. So the socioeconomic of how she was dealt with didn't matter in terms of being a black woman. Uh, and so uh, experiencing that and where we are now really jives with the bills that we put forth on black maternal health, driven by uh, the black women in my office who are experiencing issues. Yeah, let's talk about those bills and who's in office does matter. And the fact that you started this about two years ago, I'm sure you are aware as I have been. I mean, there are advocates on the front line of this particular issue, black women, maternal health and black women's health. And they do that work every single day. And then it's people like you who are one way in places and spaces to use our advocacy and our platform can take it to a whole nother level to compliment the people who work on this type of issue on a regular basis. So I could talk about the legislation that you introduced, but before you go there, I want to share that what you're talking about, what your wife endured from one being started out on her career and being very, very young. And now some years have passed. She's still very young and, but in a different socioeconomic status, the treatment is the same. It just reminds me of the story that Beyonce told and the story about V. Williams, uh, Venus, that she told as well. And so it's just yet another example of it doesn't really matter much the socioeconomic status of black women in this country, the treatment that we receive socially, economically, politically, medically, can be the same regardless of how much money you make. And so what is the common denominator? You're a black woman. Well, that's, that's real. What's, and it's real as that everybody knows this. It goes from black women be two, three times more likely to die than their white counterparts. I believe in New York State and parts of New York City is up to as much as eight times. And that's absurd. And yes. everybody knows this. And everybody knows the common denominator is black women. Everybody knows black and brown women, if you, if you bring in uh, other sisters, are still higher. What's criminal is nobody's doing anything. And we have continued to add people to the roles of people who have, women who have died during childbirth, needlessly, their pain being ignored. And you know, I couldn't help when I was going through this, trying to keep the negative thoughts out. But when we were in the whole procedure, it's like, 
I kept thinking about that. Lord have mercy. What it's yeah. like to be there and your partner's not being listened to, and then they're no longer here. Mercy, Father. Yeah. So, you know, but to have that stark analysis that everybody has and is undeniable, sometimes people could try to sugarcoat it, oh, try to make the line blurry. It's not blurry at all here. It's sharp. And yeah. folks are not doing anything about it. And that's, that's some criminal stuff happening. No, it is. And it's been going on for generations. So you're right. People know this is not new. And certainly this country could really concentrate more on dealing with this. But there's just this kind of what I would call callous indifference, you know, to the suffering of black women in their communities. As we know, Mr. Advocate, when black women suffer, the entire community suffers. You can't separate black women from their from black men, you know, their sons, their daughters, their husbands, their mates, their friends. When black women are enduring this, it has an impact on their children and it has an impact on the entire community. And as you said, yet nothing is done. And when we say nothing is done, we mean in a deep systemic way, because we both know that there are organizations out there. There are advocates out there and they work this thing every single day, all day long. You know, I had the pleasure of visiting a place in my community called the Village of Healing Center. And uh, man, if I can ever get you to Ohio, I would love to take you there. But a bunch of sisters who are in the healthcare industry and they kept raising these issues and they saw that nothing was happening. They went out on their own to create a facility, especially to deal with black women and their health needs, a place that they can feel comfortable. And the entire place advocate has uh, black art all on the walls. It has quotes everywhere. I mean, you really walk in there, you feel this. Have you ever been to a place where you feel a certain type of way? Like there's a spirit there. And the reason why they, they wanted black women to feel very much at home and able to express themselves about what they're going through medically, especially when it comes to black maternity. And I'm telling you, it is a beautiful sight to see. And I hope that what they are doing has a ripple effect all across this country. But I was just there on uh, February the 12th, right before Valentine's Day, and I just really felt the love. And so I just want to shout out that community of sisters and in the community of people who came around them to help them raise the funds to be able to open up such a facility. And that's really what you and I are talking about today. So, Advocate, you used your what the position that you have to not only draw attention to it, but to introduce some legislation. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, just and just for your for your listeners. So. Who may be trying to figure out what a public advocate even is? Oh yes, <laughs> really quickly. Uh, there's, there's actually only two in the country. One is in New York, and the other is uh, in Maine. It's statewide, but this is a citywide public advocate. There's three citywide elected officials in New York City: the mayor, the public advocate, comptroller. God forbid something happens to the mayor, public advocate steps in. There's a few roles that the public advocate plays. One is an ombudsman. Another is you can introduce legislation into the city council. And we're part of the work that we're doing there. People may know the two previous public advocates. The one right before me was Tish James, who's now the attorney general. The one right before her was Bill de Blasio, who was the last mayor of the city before uh, Eric Adams. Uh, so we introduced, uh, th- you know, a few three pieces of legislation. The first one was really just to create uh, a bill of rights for uh, people who are uh, pregnant. We had a big focus on black women who are pregnant. Another one had to do actually do with post-pregnancy. Uh, who we know when women try to re-enter the workforce, they have and see a lot of problems, a lot of issues just trying to get back. And so it's, it forces employees to set up a, a reintegration into the workplace after parental leave. So folks can step right back in and their careers are not paused because they took this time off and have to, uh, someone else took over what they were doing. There's a lot uh, they missed. And so we want to make sure a reintegration process comes back. And then third was just a resolution supporting the Momnibus Act in uh, of 2021 that's in Congress right now that will do even more than what we have and get more resources to the places and people that you're talking about. Because in New York City, we have a tremendous amount of, like you mentioned, people on the ground trying to fill the gaps uh, and have yeah. been doing an awesome job on it. I actually was on the phone with Mayor Adams today talking about a bunch of things. And one of them uh, was trying to coordinate a doula services in uh, New York City, doulas are, are wonderful, amazing people who have a space that fills the gap as well. But things are not funded properly and the network is not connected. And it's a, lot, a lot of those things can be fixed uh, with some some courage and some money. There it is. Courage and money all day long. 
No, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you're doing that. And the racial disparities do exist. So I want people who have joined us on this particular journey today, because we're always journeying on Hello Somebody. We know it's not a destination. All of the issues that we uh, talk about, that we illuminate, there's not an exit off. It is a journey. And a lot of people may not truly understand that it could be a life or death for a black woman to try to birth a baby in the world. Pregnancy itself is hard. It's tremendously hard, whether you're black or Hispanic or white or or Asian, whatever. Just everybody, every woman that's birthing a baby in the world, there is uh, it's, it's hard. It's tremendously, tremendously hard. And then for black woman, women, it is extra, extra, extra hard. And so those racial disparities do exist. And we want people to know you can get involved. You can be engaged. You don't have to sit on the sidelines. Just pick an issue that makes your heart sing, I would say. And just get involved. We need more people getting involved. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So racial disparities do exist. We know that black women, some data and advocate you have mentioned is black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related costs and white women and multiple factors contribute to these disparities. Number one, it is the variation in the quality of healthcare. You shared your and India's story about that variation and many black women can relate to that. Number two, underlying chronic conditions. What are the health conditions that black women already have that exacerbate the situation? And we know that those conditions are also linked to the black experience overall. And then third, structural racism and implicit bias, you know, being told you don't know what you're talking about or people in the medical profession not necessarily taking what black women are raising as a challenge for them. They don't take it seriously. And that was another point that came up when I was at the Miracle Village was that they wanted to create a place where black women are heard and listened to. Like, I hear you, but are you listening? Listened to. And then to be in a medical environment where people act upon what they are hearing from black women. So we landed out. This is this is hard, gut wrenching work, but this it doesn't have to be that way. Would you agree? I mean, just because we're pointing out the flaws in the system, just because that's the reality today doesn't mean it has to be the reality tomorrow. It does not. And uh, as you mentioned, that the the stats are national and here in New York, it goes up to even as as high as eight times uh, more likely for uh, uh, black women. And of course, it doesn't have to be this way if we have people who have the, who really want to take it on uh, as an issue, have the courage to bring it up, deal with these medical professionals and these institutions and provide money for places like the one you described and places like the ones here in New York City that are really doing their best trying to make a dollar out of, I was going to say 15 cents, but maybe five cents. Yeah. Um, if they can. And, you know, and one thing you, you brought up, which is important as well, I, I mean, I've learned a lot about baby births now that I never knew, but it's a miracle every time it happens. And there's so many people right. that struggle, particularly our community is not talked about. And so many people have shared their stories of, you know, they can't have children and on um, the struggles they had with having tried to have children and going through and trying to do in vitro, trying to do uh, IUIs in uterus. And people are not talking about this. And they, they were relieved to hear our story because it, 
it validated their struggle and they became a little more courageous to talk about theirs. And when you're going through it and people are asking, oh, you're married, well, when are y'all gonna have kids and not know how to respond to that? And so just being able to talk about the struggles are important because we tend to keep it ourselves, particularly in black communities, even though they try to portray us as a certain way, we think that if we don't fit that certain way, something might be wrong. But just talking about the struggles, I think is important for our, for our own healing. Yeah, no, it really is. And sometimes when people like you or me or people who have some title or influence, people rarely stop to think, wow, they go through life just like everybody else. And so you are, in the words of Rosario Dawson, encouraging other people's courage by you and India sharing your story. You're given voice and given not permission, but you're given space. You're given space for other people to be able to tell their story as well. It just definitely reminds me of uh, the black church experience uh, in the olden days. You know, they used to testify in certain other black churches, and that's what you're doing, testifying. And, you know, sitting there in church, I could recall every time I heard testimony, the purpose of that testimony was not only just to give God glory, but also so that your neighbor, the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, around you would be encouraged by what you went through and how you got over. And that is why it's so important that people like you and India and others of us continue to encourage other people's courage. That's it on that one. I'm telling you, we could do a whole show on that advocate. Maybe we will do a whole show on that. I want to go to something that we started the conversation off talking about, and that's the New York housing crisis. Well, we talked about it in the way of telling a story about you and Senator Sanders, but I want to go back to that and you've always, I mean, you are really known for standing in the gap and speaking a certain type of truth or power when it comes to the housing crisis, the crisis of being unhoused, which is a basic fundamental, should be a basic fundamental right in this country. It reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy and needs. I won't totally go there either, but the base, you know, you got to have the base physiological needs and safety, shelter, all of that kind of stuff taken care of before people can climb up to the next level, trying to get all the way to self-actualization. But you have been right there on the front lines, exposing the inequities and fighting against those inequities. So help us to understand the housing crisis in New York and how that crisis relates to the entire country and what has taken place. You know, what is happening? What are people enduring? You know, how much of their income are they spending? Or just walk us through that, Advocate. No, I, uh, I started out my career as a community organizer, tenant organizer. Uh, in particular, so it was all on housing issues. I always make sure I say it was before Barack Obama, so nobody had any idea what that is. <laughs> and my mom asked me, she asked me if I can get a real job, she'd be happy. Uh, I had to tell her that actually it is a real job. We're going to be all right. Uh, so I've been working on housing issues for a long time. First thing is always make sure we're talking about housing and homelessness uh, in the same breath. For some, time. For some reason, people always try to talk about it separately. Uh, but it's one of the same issue that answer to most people who are unhoused is housing that they can afford. And then there's a subset of those that have additional issues, whether it's uh, mental health, substance abuse, domestic violence issues. And so those are the ones that when people thinking about home, homelessness unhoused, they usually think about the chronically unhoused and the people who they see in the streets. That's actually a very small subset. And, you know, they definitely need our attention right now. But the large part of people who are unhoused are working. And they can't afford a place to live. And that's really what it is. And there are people making a lot of money off of that system that's there. And so any part of any housing plan, any good housing plan has to have preservation of the housing that exists and building new units, whether it's regular units or supportive units, 60, 70% has to be preservation. So in New York State, New York City, that's anything from NYCHA, the public housing we described, to Section 8, the project-based Section 8. and rental assistance, whether it is uh, the Section 8 people normally think of, all the kind of assistance. But that assistance has to be closer to the market rate than people are actually getting because people are getting vouchers that are not, can't do anything in the rate, the market rate that they have. If, you, if a one bedroom yeah. is $1,000, but your voucher is for $800, you are not, you're not going to really do anything with that. And then we, if we're going to build, we have to build, I, I try to say income targeted because something's affordable to anybody. So we have to build income on targeted housing sure. uh, for the people who make uh, the least amount of income. And, and that's not what we're doing. We seem to be building, subsidizing, first of all, in many places, including in New York, believe it or not, market rate housing. Uh, and then what we quote unquote call affordable, sometimes it's so close to market rate, uh, you don't really see a significant difference. And you have to have 
a lot of courage, understanding, knowledge of what the problem is to really address it. So we have the eviction moratorium that was here in New York State that was allowed to expire. And by the way, it had to expire at some point. We got it. But in the middle of winter in the Omicron surge, I'm not sure that was a time. And we're trying to get something called good cause eviction to be done here in, in New York State. There are some states that have it. If folks who don't know what that is, it, it's the most minimum protection. It's basically saying we want your landlord to have a reason to evict you. That's it. Uh, because right now, if you're not rent stabilized or rent, which is a protection here in New York State, there's different variations of it in other states. But if you don't have a general protection, which basically is a lease renewal automatically, uh, then you can get kicked out either by the landlord saying you're gone or raising your rent by 2,000% and you can't do anything about it. And so that automatic release renewal is really important. And here's why when I was doing my organizing, the tenant came in and say, can you help me get this whole fix in my roof? And I would say, are you rent regulated? Do you have automatic lease renewal? If they said no, I'd say, look, I can help you, but you may not get a lease renewal. And so you're going to get eviction. So that one piece, automatic lease renewal, unless they have a good reason, which is non-payment, which is damaging the property, which is you want it for your, for your family member, then you can't access your other rights because you are scared that if you access your other rights, you're going to get evicted. And so that's important. And they also yeah. try to pick small homeowners with tenants when they have a lot more in common. And so I really try to talk about both of those things at the same time, because foreclosure prevention for our small owners, particularly owner-occupied small homeowners, is very important and they're being left behind as well. Sure. No, I agree with that and have some experience. And then I think a lot of times people get confused with, you know, maybe you might have a homeowner who owns, you know, their home and they might own like a rental property that they're still paying a mortgage on. They're not that big, you know, corporate type owners of rental units that are not sensitive to the needs of of their their tenants. It's so much gray there. None of this is easy because we lump everybody into one area oftentimes. I want to go, I want to like kind of turn this on this head. Some people will say, what what is the property owner's rights? Uh, Especially if it is that owner who just has one or two properties, they don't own them outright. They're using the rent to pay the mortgage so that they do own it, so that they do increase generational wealth. Hello, somebody. And they have tenants who, you know, who's paying for this? That's that's what somebody would ask. Should the property owner suffer? And I don't mean that in a callous way. I just mean in terms of we should have had that moratorium and we should not lift the moratorium. But where is the some of these property owners? They have expenses. Where do they get help? Yeah, I think you, you know, you're helping frame it. Like, so I don't want anybody to lose their home. Right. So and I'm a first generation American. My parents came from an island of Grenada. All we do in the Caribbean is come up and the first thing that they learn, the first thing people love, we gotta get we gotta get a home, we gotta get a piece of property, get that generational wealth going, try to pass it down to the kids. So that's that's ingrained. But what we do know is what we have and our system is based in an extractive way. So we have an extractive system that hopefully at some point we could begin to change and work out uh, because that's what it is. I always say in the meantime though, we're not gonna have, we're not gonna live in an extractive system that only benefits certain people. I want everybody, if that's yes. where we at, then black folks got to get some too, right? Come <laughs> um, on. Black, brown people got to get some too while we're trying to move out of the extractive model we know is there. And so I am very clear. And you know, I think I'm uniquely situated here because I am a tenant. I have been a tenant and I also have tenants. So I've understood you know, what yeah. it's like to be in those situations. Me too. I just want to be clear, you know, even in that good cause, we have said very specifically owner-occupied, and it's always important. I mean, yes, you have to talk about people who may have just one other, you know, couple of rentals. I, you know, I, I'm no longer owner-occupied, so it wouldn't apply to me, even though it's just two family I have. But owner-occupied is a special category, in my opinion, because you live there, and that's where you at every day. So that, this is protects, it has the protections from one to four uh, units. But, you know, if you're in a two, three family, you live there, you need that, you got to pay your mortgage so you can live in the spot. Yeah. Make a couple of dollars so you can get some food for yourself. So we want yes. to make protected. So this in New York State even excludes owner-occupied one to four family home. Uh, and then even if it doesn't, all it says is that you have to give a reason. We got people not giving any reason. And a sure. good reason is not paying rent. We're not saying you have to have a tenant 
that doesn't pay rent for the whole time. This is obviously the moratorium aside. You can't have a tenant that's damaging their property all the time. Right. The whole time. And if this is your property, you may have a family member that needs a place to live. You, we, we understand that. So those are three other reasons, even if you're not owner-occupied, that provides exceptions. And we're still having the big real estate industry push back. And the reason they lump everybody together is because they know that those small homeowners, those black and brown small homeowners are struggling, are sympathetic stories. And so they are putting them in the front of the conversation, even though this doesn't even affect them at all. Right. And even if it did, you just we're just saying you can't evict somebody for no reason. And you can't, I'm sorry, you should not be allowed to raise your rent from $2,000 to $5,000 on a whim. What that does to the housing market and to the rest of the city is a problem. That's why we're seeing homelessness spike, we're seeing affordable housing spike. So let's just say you, you can't do that unreasonably. But I, I want to make sure everybody can survive, everybody makes money, everybody can build some generational wealth. So, you know, I mean, you're, we're probably preaching the cry to the listeners here, but, you know, many of our quote-unquote progressive ideals are very pragmatic, especially when it's black and brown progressives, because people forget we come from the world come where on. we're dealing with black and brown people who got real issues, you know, trying to make some money too, trying to eat. That's trying it. To, to their kids. So, um, you know, we've really thought about these things and thought about mm-hmm. it a lot. And it's like, it's the when people hear what it actually is, they're like, oh, that makes sense. And we're like, we know what people are giving you wrong information. And Kathy Hochul, who is currently the governor, is accepting lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of real estate money to prevent this from happening. The same money that the former governor is receiving, she's now receiving. So it's not a surprise that she would be pushing, or at least pushing being back. silent on this. Yeah. And I will tell you this, in her state of the state address, which shocked me, it was a pretty decent state of state address here in New York State, but it could have been given before the pandemic, right? So there was nothing that was bold, like the New Deal type thing that to get us out where we need to go. But what surprised me the most is she said, and she leaned into this proudly, we need 100,000 new units preserved or built. Now that may sound a lot for some folks here, but we have more than that facing homelessness right now. So there's 62 counties in New York state. That number is not enough for one of the counties in New York city. And so it was like, it blew up. You had, by the way, this is the, this is the real estate industry was like, that number's too low. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you had the real estate industry and the average, like, what are you saying? Right. So we need in New York state, at least six to 700,000 units built or preserved. And you know, everybody don't even hit that number. So if you start off with a hundred thousand, where are you going with that? And so it was amazing um, that she wasn't called out more, but it said to me that we have somebody who doesn't understand the crisis we're in or doesn't have the courage to match the crisis that we're in. Or both. So, wow, let's let's go ahead and just rest right there. Mr. Advocate, you are running for governor in the great state of New York. I am supporting you. You have all of my support and the support of many others across the country and, and more importantly, in your great state. And what you're talking about is a lack of vision to provide provision for the people. I mean, that's how I read that, a lack of vision. And we could go so many places with this. So maybe this is a Jemani Williams interview part one, because we can certainly do many more parts. We're talking about a lot of complex and deep and important issues. Narrowing down on this one that you need, we must have leadership that has the courage to ask for more, the courage not to settle, leaders that have a vision to help to provide provision for the people, and also leaders who are not taking owner donor money. Because when you take that kind of money, it limits your ability to push back against the system. That's just it. And in America, and there's a, a site I want people to go to called Unrigged, where they have lots of videos. You can put them in YouTube where they really break down the system as it exists in this country. It is legal to bribe politicians in, in the United States of America. And that is why the complex issues that we're talking about right now, whether it's maternal health, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, having good housing or decent housing to live in the one of the reasons why some of this stuff can't happen why we can't have nice things is because we elect too many politicians who have been bribed by these folks and they answer to their owner donors instead of answering to the people and it's so refreshing advocate to talk to somebody like you who answer to the people who have been a servant of the people both as an activist and as an elected person 
I'm really proud of you of the fact that you just stepped into the gap and said, I'm running. You didn't wait for anybody to give you permission or for an invitation, because a lot of times, let me just talk about this, especially when it's black people running for offices hired in city council in their cities, when they're running for statewide offices, we get the little pat on the head from the Democratic Party. Oh, that's a nice thought. Why don't you run for auditor or treasurer or secretary of state and not that those offices are not important because sister yo sister turner ran for secretary of state i think that's one of the most important statewide offices in the country because they set the rules for expanding and protecting access to the ballot box or if you get the wrong kind of person they will set the rules to suppress that access to the ballot box those offices are important but rarely jay rarely do black people get invited to run for governor. They always want to make sure we're on the ticket so they can point to some fake ass diversity. That's a whole nother story. But but rarely. And 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 I was so proud to get that call from you when you said, My sister, I S and T, I'm going. So let's talk about your run for governor right now. So glad you're doing it. I appreciate it. And I gotta say, everything you said about me back to you as you trying to do your thing over there. So uh, you know. We need that in Congress too. I mean, that's it's your show, so you talk about it all the time. I want to make sure I add my name back <laughs> <laughs> as well. Amen. You know, and it's the same things, you know, you experience not only if you're black, if you're black and saying, you know, the system we have don't really work for us, then you get you double trouble at that point in time. That's it. And, and it's uh, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. When I hear people saying we we gotta return to normal, the governors keep saying we gotta return to normal. I mean, no, the hell we don't. No, the hell we don't. Yes. That did not work for us. That's the problem. That's how we got here. And so we have an opportunity now to go back better than normal than we've ever been to go back and say we're going to put the structures in place and fund the structures that have never been funded. And it's fascinating to me to see people know that and still get sucked into the well, you know, she's going to give me this and going to give me that. That's what that's what we always at. You're going to get this. Come on. And mess up the whole state for this little piece that you're in. Yeah. And these election day promises that you get now, and after that, God forbid she wins, you're gonna call me to start raising noise for the for the person who's not doing the thing that we know they're not, not they're not gonna do to begin with. That ain't right. That so, ain't right. And then I'm like, she came out the gate. This is what frustrates me. She has come out of the gate saying that we're not gonna entertain any revenue raising options. Out the gate, not Jesus. even independent. I'm like, how can all of my advocates, how can you recommend that to be okay? Because what that means is we're not going to be able to do any of the things that she's actually talking about or any of the things that are going to bring equity here. Well, that's why those units that she's trying to build are too low. That's why we can't talk about universal health care in New York yes. State. Uh, that's why we can't deal with the, uh, the public safety in the way we have to. They're going to have a knee-jerk reaction and just try to send as many uh, offices, which costs money, by the way, the same money we're asking for to do some of the other things, which, which is why we're not going to be able to do those things, uh, get the mental health services that we need. All of the big buckets, we're not going to be able to fund in the way we need to fund. She doesn't want to entertain any revenue raising options. And then she came with the, she was literally meeting with millionaires and billionaires, her donor class, and telling them, we're not going to raise any taxes at all. Please stay here. We want you to come back. One. Robert Mejica, who is a state budget director, who shouldn't be, that's another conversation. Her own budget director said, there are no millionaires and billionaires that have left the state because of taxes, period. So we need to stop that. We had a little fake millionaires tax, which I'm thankful we got a couple of years ago. Nobody's left. The only people who leave in New York state is because they can't afford to live here. Come and that's on. That's the people that we're trying to protect, not the millionaires and billionaires who are still here. And two, that is a Republican line, not raising taxes, to try to scare people who are never going to be impacted by the revenue raising that we're talking about to begin with. So 99% of New Yorkers will not get their taxes raised regardless. So don't say that to try to scare them because we're not talking about them. That's talking right. about 1% of the people who we have to sit down and have a conversation about civic responsibility. What is everybody's civic responsibility? Do what they can with what they have, where they are. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you got two homes in New York State, you should pay taxes, higher taxes on the other one. You just, you got, like, particularly what they call pay to tear. If you have a second home worth a certain amount, these people have condos in, in the best part of New York State, Three, four, five, six, eight million dollar condos. It's their second home. You need to pay out a little bit. I mean, people are, can't right. eat. They're literally homeless. We, you know, it's just it's frustrating because everybody sees it and everybody acts like it's not happening. And as you mentioned, people are getting legally bribed every single day, and the stuff that's being spewed hurts to listen to because the system is set up to benefit that person. So she has twenty million dollars or more now. She's forty-five thousand dollar plates hundred thousand dollar plates jesus uh, and we out here struggling trying to raise a little piece to try to make out to make our voice heard but you know the benefit that she has had to people who know better uh disappointing but we have um we actually have had a, a good past two weeks of momentum building endorsement so we're really excited about that we got one just today i just tweeted about um so uh, we're really exciting and i keep pushing but you know it's an uphill battle but all of our battles are uphill I've been here and I'm crazy since I started running and I've been winning ever since. So <laughs> I plan to, uh, to try to make it happen one more time. Come on, crazy like a fox. <laughs> you know, I mean, they called our, our our ancestors crazy and I'm glad. I'm glad you are what they call crazy. And I'm glad that we had ancestors along the journey, both in this country and in the diaspora, who probably were called crazy as well. Because our ancestors had to fight against the status quo. Hell, ain't nobody more progressive as far as I'm concerned from a historic perspective than black folks. Because it don't get more progressive than trying to fight for your very freedom, your very livelihood, your very life. You know, we invented the shit called progressivism. It's called liberation for your life, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit. And I am so glad. I am so glad, Jermani Williams, that you are running and the hell with the people who are calling you crazy. What they fear is that you do have a vision, that you are making a demand and you are awakening sleeping giants and letting people know that they don't have to accept the status quo. They don't have to accept things as they are. And I know every generation rises, raises up their own uh, warriors, their freedom fighters. And you are certainly one of those. Oh, my God. I'm just so excited. I could talk to you all day, all day. That's why we got to have part two. I got to get you to commit to coming back to Hello Somebody. And let's have a part two and talk about this. Where can people reach you, your, your campaign? Where do they go? Where are you on social media? How do they find you if they want to make some investment of time, talent, and treasure? You know, I, I, before I say that, I do want to just mention our Democratic Party. The problem they have is they keep telling people who to vote against. They keep yes. creating a boogeyman person who to vote against and not lean into a vision of who to vote for. Come on. And that's where you and I are at. We're trying to tell you who to vote. This is our vision for. I understand. Like every time we try to be Republican light, 
we lose. And you start blaming Nina Turner and Jamani Williams That's for policies you ain't ever adopt to begin with. So, you know, let's let's start being courageous. And our policies are better for the people we're trying to represent than the folks you're allowing to win and blaming us for. So come on. I think as a party, you know, two party system is problematic. It's another conversation. But yes, um, that I want to have. Got. Let's have it. <laughs> so this is what we got now. But the party, it shouldn't be about trading one elite structure for another. It should be about having a real vision for the people. And people are responding to that. And so the Republicans with their craziness, their true craziness, are putting out candidates that are not status quo and people are responding to it. And our party keeps putting out as many status quo candidates as they can, telling us they have to do it because we don't have enough people that think like you and this and that. And every time someone like Nina Turner comes out, you push back against her. So you don't want them people in there. You look at India Walton in Buffalo, who was actually... The Democratic nominee did everything you told her to do and still went against her and allowed somebody else to come in. So that's right. And and advocate, let's stay on that. She and the general, just for people who are not necessarily following the story and you and I both supported her and so many other wonderful people from the grassroots to the grass tops actually supported Sister India. But she now correct me if I'm wrong, but she did not run against a Republican in the general. Well, not not officially. (laughs) She ran against the former mayor who ran against she had the democratic party line and the, the former mayor ran as an independent uh, on the independent line or you know made up his own thing and the party did not support their own democratic nominee did not she won the primary yes. ladies and gentlemen yep. family and friends she won it and then what what's that guy that that state party chair you guys got there that lord, lord please he should have been gone and by the way, Jay Jacobs has already endorsed Kathy Hochul. Of course he did. The party's not supposed to endorse in the primary. That's what they say. Yeah. Right? He as a chair endorsed Kathy Hochul already. Of course he did. Said all kind of craziness about India Walton. He compared her candidacy to that of David Duke. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. The Klansman, just in case. Okay, everybody might not know who we're talking about, advocate. Damn self-avowed Klansman. This Democratic chair of the state party of the great state of New York compared the candidacy of India Walton, a young, vibrant, smart, courageous leader, compared her candidacy to that of a damn David Duke. Now, wrap your mind around that. I want them to wrap their minds around that. (laughs) It was wild. Wow. it, you know, there was a black paper that said even worse about her. I mean, I'm going to send it to you after. Like, Please crazy do. About her. And the, by the way, the Republican Party put, sent out mailers in the general election saying, paid for by the Republican Party, asking people to vote for the former mayor who she beat in the primary. So you had the Republican Party Come on. leading all of their power. In the uh, race. People, people should look up Carl Palladino. He was Trump before Trump. He was just a little couple years early. Carl Palladino, in, in, he got kicked off the school board, tried to run for governor. Wow. Supported the former mayor. Uh, Byron Brown is his name. And to have the party not support her was yeah. wild. By the it way, was. she won the mayor's own district. She won Black Buffalo which means that they have put just a little bit of uh, uh, of stuff in there with support. She would have been the mayor this time. There Anyways. it is. This gets my blood <laughs> boiling. You know, they similarly in my special election race that I ran in 2021, which I am running again, similar happened where Republicans dipped in. Democrats were encouraging Republicans to even vote in the special primary last year in 2021. So mm. I know you're not surprised by what I'm saying. The The moral of the story is that the Democratic Party itself, I think, will hurt their own mama to stop progressives. I really, really do. And I mean that to try right. to stop people like you and me and India, uh, the Cory Bushes of the world and other champions, Amy Villellas. They will do something to their own mama to try to stop a progressive. And I want you to look up Carrie Horn. That was a Buffalo police officer who finally got her pension. She had the audacity to interrupt another police officer, white officer, who was using excessive force on someone. She got fired. He stayed on, ended up getting fired because he did it somewhere else. And the mayor who was around when that happened, who allowed that to happen, was actually Mayor Byron Brown, who's not a mayor again. Wow. And so 
folk. We know every skin folk. You know what it is. So yeah, ain't kid know, folks. You just got to um, make sure. Advocate, what's her name? What's the officer's name? What's her name again? My name is Carriol Horn. C A R I O L H O R N E. She had to go drive a truck after try to feed her family, a bunch of stuff. But after I think it was like sixteen years or so, maybe even twenty. She finally got her pension. So we lift her up and I'm so happy for her. She's trying to get Cario's law passed in the state that protects and indemnifies officers who step in like this because what they did to her was dirty. Yeah. I remember hearing about her story, Advocate. Please keep us uh, posted on that. And she had to fight too hard to get her pension back uh, for doing the right thing. We want law enforcement. We talk about this shit about bad, having bad apples in law enforcement and then you get an officer who does the very thing we want them to do and then she's penalized for it. Yep, absolutely. The world is upside damn down. Black mayor, black commissioner. Black mayor, black um, commissioner. So where folks can reach me um, yes. is uh, com. J-U-M-A-A-N-E Williams.com Sign up to volunteer. Be great if people can drop five, ten dollars in there because we are people power, grassroots power. Uh, you can check me on uh, Twitter at Jamani Williams, Instagram at Jamani Williams, and I think it's the same on Facebook, Jamani uh, Williams. Yeah, we'll put that in our show notes and uh, follow. You can go to my Twitter too and, and see me uplifting what the advocate is doing. Well, I want to close on a hopeful note. You have got to come back, advocate. And we we got so much to talk about. Land, when you laying down truth like this, oh my God, I'm feeling all kinds of ways right now. Hello, somebody family. I am. Y'all know how I get. I'm ready to run around this room right about now. So I want to compliment all that we've said with a hopeful note because again hope is an action word and you mr jamani williams you personify hope in so so many ways so i got i'm feeling a word from the one and only the great bishop desmond tutu who is no longer with us in the physical but i do believe that he is around us his spirit still lives and he once said the following hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Mr. Advocate, what keeps you going? What gives you hope? Man, that's that's powerful right there. I, I live in an eternal pragmatic hope of knowing that all we have to do is what we can, what we have, where we are just to make this thing a little shinier than what we got it. And I could I could live in that space. My job is just to make it a little bit shinier. And there's a bunch of folks. My ancestors not only dreamed of me, they dreamed of my daughter. Come um, on. Now. And so that, that keeps me going, you know. We gotta keep, sometimes it seems so overwhelming, but all we gotta do is just our peace to the best of our ability. And I believe in, I believe in what's possible. And understanding that's, that's what this is about. It's always been, it's, it's always been a struggle. It's always been a struggle. It's just our time to, to live in it. And uh, there's a lot of blessings also. And so I, I remember that this life is, uh, you know, while I'm trying to pay my rent here, it's just a lot, so much to be thankful for, so much to be blessed for, so much to enjoy. Uh, my job is to make sure anybody who doesn't have my same privilege I have can still enjoy those things too. And of course, the most high. I forgot to, you can't leave the most high out. Always keep me going. I walk with the most high. Praise God, he walks with me, so. Amen. You know I believe in all of that. Praises be. Couldn't do a thing without that higher power. We believe in that. I know everybody doesn't necessarily believe in that, but whatever they believe, whatever keeps them going, whatever energizes and edifies them. But yes, we believe in a higher power and that we are the instruments of that higher power doing what we can, as you just said, where we are, what we have to make this world a better place. Woo, on hope, an action word. Well, I love you, Brother Jamani Williams, and all of my love to India and Baby Williams and to all that you do. I am glad that God put you on this earth. Thank God for your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents and your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, baby. Thank God for your line and that you are here using that spirit to transition not only the great state of New York, but dare I say the world. I'm sending you love. Hello, somebody family. You know what we got to do, baby. We got to keep the faith, but we damn sure going to keep the fight. Until next time.
Yeah, change is coming, the pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush, we need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up, for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough, is enough, making changes on us. In Turner, her voice is the truth, her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof. It's the end, never give up, keep conquering goals. To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold. Back to the end, now is your time, stay firm, don't fold. To the A, all you need is the three bones, that's what Granny said. Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread. For all the here, just give her your ear. She can take you to the promised land, I swear. World peace is what they fear. From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous. Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 